Well, good morning again, everybody. I saw this when I came in, and it and that just small statement just jumped out. Read that. It's, Christian faith does not derive its standards from contemporary society, but from the scriptures themselves. What powerful words in this day and in this generation in this time. Well, thank you, Jesse, for the words this morning. And thank you, Dusty and Carrie and Isaac, for helping lead us in worship. I would ask that you would uh, turn in your Bibles, Matthew chapter 3. I'm going to read 1 through 12. Um, and if you don't mind, stand with me while we, uh, for the reading of the God's Word, the opening, our opening text this morning. I'll be reading from the ESV, Matthew 3, 1-12. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the strong, powerful words that you give us from your word. Words of conviction. Words of power that you expressed through the hands of men. But we know come straight by your Spirit to us as it did to them. So help us to take it in this morning. Help us to take it in. Help us to walk it out. Help us to be faithful. Help me to be faithful to preach it 
to say it well. And I know, trust, that it is your voice that is the greater voice. It's the truth of your word that is the truth. So, Lord, speak. So, Lord, use these lips and these words prepared and these things, and especially your word by your spirit to convict, challenge, and change us for your glory and for our joy, for real joy. In Jesus' name, amen. So revival, revival or, or, or awakening, that, that word or those words have been in the air this week. How, how many over the, over the last little while, and I know that, that at least the event has ended um, at Asbury School. How many have heard about Asbury? People, you know. So, so pretty much everybody here has heard about Asbury and the, and the as said, revival that's going on there. And you want to talk to me later, I can refer to, to you some reliable voices that I've heard, and, and those also not just, you know, attacking voices, but really, you know, spirit-filled and kind-hearted uh, reflections on Asbury. This isn't going to be about Asbury. Okay, just to assure you. But those words of that event sparked some things of revival, of, of awakening. And we hear John the Baptist. Jesus called him you know, just like the greatest. Like he referred to him. Jesus referred to the greatest man. And he stands, John the Baptist stands at this threshold of what I would call the beginning of the greatest revival and awakening ever because it hasn't stopped. You understand what I'm saying? Like we want, we talk about revival as event or moments or 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 something that happens here and there throughout time, and and I know that we've seen, you know, the ebb and flow of God's working and moving in the world. But John the Baptist stood at the the forefront, at the very front edge of the greatest ongoing revival that is still taking place. Because Jesus is still saving people. God is still saving people. The world around us in our particular area might look really weird at best and purely evil at worst. But Jesus is still and ever will be Lord. And He still is and will continue to save people. But we see in Matthew chapter 3, the introduction. And we see John the Baptist preaching repentance. He's preaching repentance 
And he's saying to those who, who we look at the Sadducees and the Pharisees and we have this disdain and, and we hear it in his voice. Like, what are you, what are you coming out here for? You coming out to see the show? You know, you, are you coming? You brood of vipers. He was not kind. He was not sweet and gentle, but he was truthful. You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father, for I tell you God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And he was talking to a generation who was in it for their fame and their glory and not God's. Because that is what existed in the Sadducees and the Pharisees. They had a following. We can watch them all throughout the ministry of Jesus on this earth. A people who had a following and did not want to lose it and would do anything to keep that following. And the first thing that was preached in this, in this threat, at this threshold of the greatest revival ongoing was repent. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Now I want to move forward. Matthew, let's turn to Matthew chapter four, just one chapter over. Starting at verse 12. And this is where Jesus begins his ministry. Now, just after John the Baptist had preached repentance and he was repenting, or, or people were repenting and he was baptizing them there in the Jordan, Jesus came and he was baptized. And there's that interaction that, that John the cousin of Jesus, was having this interaction. It should not be me baptizing you. It should be you. I'm not worthy to do. This is not, and Jesus said, "It's this is we're doing this because this is right and good. And Jesus begins his ministry. So we look in Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 to 17. Now when he, Jesus, heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee, and leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what, that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them light has dawned. Verse 17, hear this. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The first sermon that Jesus preaches is repent. Repent, for the kingdom 
of heaven is at hand. Now in Scripture, like in all of Scripture, repentance is not a new concept. This, this wasn't a novel thing that was going on here at the Jordan or here in the very first sermon that Jesus preached. So let's turn back again. Second Chronicles chapter 7. Second Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 11 is where we're going to start. Second Chronicles 7.11. You will hear familiar verses here. I'm sure you will. And I will I, and I will say this. I want to interject this, just kind of drop this in here briefly. Not all of Scripture is to us. Okay? You're, you're going to see that God is speaking to a people here. Specific people in a specific situation. Not, not everything is to us. In here, but I promise you that everything is for us. So, so if we understand that it's not not everything is to us, but everything is for us to to take and hear what God is saying, even though He said something to a specific people in a specific place, He is still speaking things to us out of those things that we might see concepts of His word and truth. So, just wanted to kind of drop that in the front. So, Second Chronicles seven eleven. Thus Solomon finished the house of the Lord and the king's house. All that Solomon had planned to do in the house of the Lord and in his own house, he successfully accomplished. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon in the night and said to him, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or command the locusts to devour the land, or send pestilence among my people, if my people, who are called by my name, humble themselves, and pray, and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, and will forgive their sin, and heal their land. Now my eyes will be open, and my ears attentive to the prayer that is made in this place. For now I have chosen and consecrated this house, that my name may be there forever. My eyes and my heart will be there for all time. And as for you, if you will walk before me as David your father walked, doing according to all that I have commanded you, in keeping my statutes and my rules, then I will establish your royal throne as a covenant with David your father, saying, You shall not lack a man to rule Israel. But if you turn aside and forsake my statutes and my commandments that I have set before you, and go and serve other gods and worship them, then I will pluck you up from my land that I have given you, and this house that I have consecrated for my name I will cast out of my sight, and I will make it a proverb and a byword among the peoples. 
And at this house, which was exalted, everyone passing by will be astonished and say, Why has the Lord done thus to this land and to this house? Then they will say, Because they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who brought them out of the land of Egypt, and laid hold on other gods, and worshipped them, and served them. Therefore he has brought all this disaster on them. Not to us, but for us. So, when we hear further up in the New Testament, what is the temple of the Lord? Anyone who is an image bearer that has Christ seated on the the throne, as it were, in here. You and I are the are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Like we we are the temple, and so grab that context of a of a temple that people went to worship in, and now grab the concept that now it's not a place over here, and in a in a group of people but it's here, like right here. Now here, Second Chronicles 7.14, now hear that. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. When we hear that in light of this being the temple, when we hear that in light of this is what that the, the, the promise is made over, do you not hear in those words repentance, turning from wicked ways and turning to God? and what He will do, how He will prosper that one. And I don't want us to get hung up on prosper and think in dollar signs or land or things. A peace with God that cannot be taken away by the, the gain or lack of stuff. The gain or lack of life is so much greater prosperity than one billion, one trillion dollars. There is so much more value, there is so much more to prosper in knowing the Lord regardless of the circumstances. So when we think of that in light of having our sins forgiven and experiencing the healing of this that will that will take place in this temple and seeing it bigger than just the physical and seeing it bigger than I'm not saying that he won't heal and just not think about that but I just want to say I want us to see something bigger bigger than that 
as with Israel, so with the church, the body of Christ, we can become cold, we can become numb and indifferent to sin. You hear what I'm saying? We can become cold, numb, and indifferent to sin. Here's the first point. Elijah, I got a slide, the first slide. Repentance is the call and first fruit of revival. Repentance is the call that comes at the head of revival. The call that comes out from God by the Spirit. I've heard it like hinted at and said through through songs, introduction, and pieces. It is that first thing that comes. It's the, it's the call. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It is the call, and it is also the first fruit of real revival is that we turn. We begin to recognize, oh, I've become cold. I've become numb to, I've become indifferent to sin. And it is a call for us to deal with sin. To deal with sin. And I know that that word sin can have this it can have this weird stigma to it. Right? Was that well that's a sin. Well that's a sin. That's a sin. Without even defining anything of what that really means. Just that's a sin. That's a sin. Oh, you did that? That's a sin. That's a sin. That's a sin. That's a sin. It's like, okay, well, I get that. And, and, and in a context, I can understand that being the case. But let's throw it up against this. Does this fit what God calls good? I want to ask the question, can I get away with this? How much of this is too much? How much is too little? And we go back and forth trying to debate and find ways to make ourselves comfortable with what we're going to do or not going to do. When the real question is, does this fit what God calls good? And we have this for reference. We have the full counsel of God's Word to know what He calls good and what He doesn't. And apart from how I feel about it, because so much of the time looking to get away with something, well, I really, I think, Jesse, I really like this. You mentioned that, right? I really like this. I mean, this really feels good to me. So how much can I get away with here? And this is the voice of the enemy, the devil, the accuser. If it feels good, do it. This is the voice of God. If it is good, do it as unto me. And if it's not good, it is not worth your time. Get away from it. Run from it. Deal 
harshly with it because it will harm you at such a depth because it is not just doing bad things that's going to lead to you're not going to have everything that you could have or want to have. When we understand that the harm that sin does to us, the real harm isn't just the consequences of it. Oh, you steal something, go to jail. Oh, you murder somebody, you, you, you could be murdered yourself. When we understand that the consequences of sin is separation from God. When we understand that what hell is, is eternal separation from God. Without His general grace. It's not going to be the the joy of just hanging out. Well, you know, if I go to hell, all my buddies are going to be there and we'll just have a big party. No, you won't. Because the parties you have and the celebration you have in this day and age doing stuff that's rowdy and raucous and everything that, or anything that just kind of smells or feels or, or kind of has this taste of, you know, rebellion against God, you enjoy only because of His grace. You enjoy those things. We enjoy those things only because of His grace. But when you take that away, and that general grace of God is gone, and the joy and the fun or whatever that could be found in doing that is gone. And there's nothing left of a semblance of His mercy and grace in it. It is not going to be fun. It will be just pure empty. Just as purely empty as it is partially seen as empty even now. And go into more details because there's so much to be said about that. But I want to dovetail uh, into uh, the sermon that that Randy preached last week. So many, so many good points. My notes were just blowing up with the things that were there. But Romans chapter six, Romans six, sixteen through nineteen. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed." And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. Now look, let's look at just Romans 6.19 real quick. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. And he's talking about the concept of slavery, which isn't our concept of slavery. Our concept uh, in America of, of slavery harkens back to the brutal form of slavery that, that took place in this nation and, and actually in a lot of places all over the world where, where people were forcibly taken and still are being forcibly taking, taken, taken, 
to do horrid things and and abused miserably. That that's the slavery that we understand in this time. You know, and it's anyway, that's the slavery the but but we're not talking slavery. When you're talking to this Roman culture, they understood slavery. That word uh doulos in the Greek. That reference is bond servant where you would because of a debt that you owed you would give yourself to someone and then you would serve them and in the in the culture of the day um if you were just it was just like a common roman citizen the the servitude length was 7 years and if you were higher up in the official you know ranking of society especially like up in the higher political it could be 14 years so for 7 years or 14 years while you're in a bond servant to this person they would they would gather you know basically the slave owner would be saving up money for that person and at the end of that in that indentured servitude that bond servant period they give them that money. They're free, and here's here's the money that we have. And they pay their debts with that, and they go on to live like that. That's that is that's the concept that this slavery is when you see that. So it says when it when it says that, when it when it says, For just as you once presented your members as as slaves, now you understand it's like it wasn't I'm, I was taken out of sight of my will. Do you hear what I'm saying? Like when I get to this slaves to sin, you're not going to be thinking, I'm a victim. Oh, these things happened to me and here I am stuck with Adam and Eve's stupidity. Uh, no. No, no, no. The bondservant presented themselves to that because they were working off a debt. So, when you hear, for just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness leading to more lawlessness so now present your members as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification do you hear the turning of repentance here right do you hear the 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 turning of repentance it's once you did now do sorrow and regret plus change to godly biblical behavior like this is a change of heart and a change of circumstance it's not oh i'm sorry i got caught no i regret that i took this course that i've done these things and now I will, by the grace of God, turn and do something completely different. I will go in a different direction. Hear that. Romans six sixteen to seventeen brings us to the to the next to the next point. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin 
which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. So point one was repentance is the call and first fruit of revival. The second point, Lige. The second fruit of true revival is obedience to God. So it begins with repentance and a turning. And its next step is obedience to God. And I refer John 14. Chapter 20, John chapter 14, verses 21 to 26. Jesus says, Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. So if you hear someone say, Oh, I just, I love Jesus, but they're not keeping his commandments, I'm sorry. You may say the words you love Jesus, but you don't. You cannot say, I love Jesus, and not do what He says about your life, your thinking, your circum. You cannot say, I love Jesus, and not deal with the things that God's Word says would separate you from Him. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Like, how will you show yourself to us and not everybody will see that and see your manifestation and and experience that? He said, Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Obedience to God is the fruit of genuine salvation. Not just going through the motions. Not just doing the things because you're supposed to. But obedience that is the fruit of a heart that has been changed. And this is how it's changed. Listen, in, in John 14, 22 to 23. Listen to Judas's question and listen to Jesus' answer. Judas, not as scary, said to him, Lord, how is it you'll manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Kind of went through that. Like, how are you going to show yourself and not everybody see this? Jesus answered, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with Him. This 
is the kingdom of God. That He dwells with us. When He said the kingdom is is at hand and even is here, that is the kingdom of God. Not somewhere over there one of these days. But if anyone loves me, and this is not somewhat someday down the road, we're talking about manifesting. He said, how will you manifest yourself to us? It's like making yourself plain, known, and everything. My Father will love Him, and we will come to Him and make our home with Him. He will dwell with us. The kingdom is here. It's here. The Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. You hear that? Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's not just a, a conceptual thing. No, that is Him taking residence here with us. Here with us throughout the whole course of our life until we pass from this life to the next. And we with Him in the next life forever, the new heavens and the new earth. No gaps. No, you're never without Him. Do you, do you get that? Like, if we have any better concept of, like, like it's, it's not just heaven over there. It is heaven in here. Now, I know circumstantially it may not feel like heaven sometimes. Because in this world, you will have tribulation. But take heart. Because the one who's living in us has overcome the world. It's not the lack of Him being here. It's our lack of realization that He's here that hinders our joy and our peace. And it's the things that we let overtake us sometimes that are sins, things that God does not call good, that hinder that relationship with Him even while He is yet here with us. Do you hear what I'm saying? You don't feel close to God right now. Man, He's here. Like, He's here. I, I, I If you think that this week has not been marked by repentance for me reading these things and just having God just say, Hello, wake up. Awaken to the fact that it's the stuff that you participate in that you know because my spirit is not silently sitting back and just watching you do stupid things. Ill-informed things. Trying to deal with society around you as if you've got to please them instead of God. And knowing that the lack of peace and the lack 
of joy and the lack of a hope that creeps into us, the disturbances that creep into us and take us aside. There is a result of thought patterns and beliefs and structures running up in here that are contrary to what God calls good. And when you have those places where I just don't have peace here, and you want to point at sin and go sin, 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 and, and just we are so we are really good at going from one extreme to the other. Either self-congratulations, look at how good I'm doing. Sadducees and Pharisees. Look at how good I'm doing. Look at how great this is. To I am a pile of worthless refuse, blah, 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 blah. That does not agree with what God says about what He has put in us any more than the other does. That is not agreeing with what God has said. I have put my spirit in you. To do what? We're going to get to that. When you hear Him coming to dwell in us, I hear I hear words of the Lord's Prayer. I hear words that he, we will come to Him and make our home with Him. And I hear, Your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. And they were understanding kind of a future concept, but they just didn't know that the future was like, like right there. Like, I mean, within seconds in the timeline of history. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. On earth, here. Here, just like in heaven. So there's no contradiction between what you say is good, God, here, right here. What you say is good, what you say is true, is true. The third point, Lige. The final fruit of revival is an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Now, I have never heard a phrase more abused than I have heard abused within the confines of what is called the church. We're looking for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And all we can think about is signs and wonders and stuff like that. We want to see the signs. We want to see people heal. We want to see, you know, we, we want to see, I don't know, prophecies. And we want to see all these things. We want to see this. And it's like, oh, wow, that'd be cool. An outpouring of the Holy Spirit. But I want you and I to hear what Jesus said about what the Spirit's purpose was. What the Spirit's purpose is. What the Spirit's purpose always has been. Because in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come on people and stuff would happen. So the Holy Spirit is not like brand new to the scenario. So just we understand that. John chapter 14. Verses 25 through 26. 
John 14, 25 to 26. Jesus said, These things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, what will he do? He will show out continually and do crazy wild stuff. Healings and limbs growing back and speaking in tongues and a whole lot of other stuff. Now, I'm not here to I'm not here to poke fun at that because God did that, and that's not something to make fun of at all. That is that is that is the power of God manifest. It, it happened with Jesus and the healings. Proofs. I am the Son of God. So that you might believe that I have the power to forgive sins. Take up your bed and walk. Those were undeniable proofs that Jesus was who he said he was. And there were undeniable proofs when the Spirit of God was, I want to say unleashed, but kind of by God the Father bequeathed to the children of God. There were some proofs This is the Holy Spirit who just like Jesus did these miraculous things, these signs and these wonders to prove I, this is the Holy Spirit and I am here. So, these are the proofs that He showed up. But this is the purpose for which He came. He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So when I, when when I said earlier about the one side or the other, one believing they're just so great and awesome, you know, look at how, look at how holy, look how good we are, and what a mistake that is. And the other end saying, oh, look, at I'm just garbage. I'm a worthless, ratty mess that just doesn't deserve. And I'm just going to stay in this perpetual sense of shame and failure for forever. And I say, that is not what the Holy Spirit is going to say. The Holy Spirit of God is not going to tell you how great you are because you did certain things. The Holy Spirit is not going to tell you how awesome you are because you walked an aisle, you did a thing, you said your prayers, you read the Bible. And in the same way, the Holy Spirit is not going to say you are trash and filth and worthlessness. No, what the Holy Spirit is going to do is He's going to remind us of what Jesus said. And the things that Jesus said about what is good and right and true what we should be pursuing, what we should be chasing after, what we should be dealing with sin-like, how we should be handling our thinking and our living. He'll remind us of those things. So we're not all caught up in our identity and who we are or who we think we are, but we're thinking about who He is. We're thinking about who He is instead of who we are. 
And in light of thinking who He is, who we are changes. How we think changes. Because His Word is the most powerful thing to us. I am not ashamed of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Because it is the power of God to salvation. Not the one and done salvation concept, but eternal salvation. A work that He tends and oversees by His Spirit in us. The power of God is not my abilities or my disabilities. The power of God is His gospel at work in this life to produce good fruit that glorifies Him and we get to enjoy being a part of what He's doing in the world. And His call to us, His call to us all the time is deal with anything that hinders your relationship with God. Not your relationship with yourself, or can, can I sleep at night or can I not? Deal with anything that hinders your, my relationship with God. Deal with it harshly. Like, put it at, it's not necessary. Don't need it, don't want it, it's not worth anything. It's keeping me from having everything that it means to know Him. And everything that He reminds me of again and again is being lied over because I'm trusting something besides what His Word says. This is the true work of the Holy Spirit. John chapter 16. It's the last piece of verses I want to share. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They they will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he's offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. The work of the Holy Spirit I did not say these things to you from the beginning. And again, that's that's just a, that, that part's a heading. So we don't get confused and believe. The work of the Holy Spirit is in there. No. I don't know why it did that, but we're going to ignore it. Okay? Please ignore that. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going to Him who sent me. And none of you asked me, where are you going? But because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness, and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. 
Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth. For He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak. And He will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify Me, for He will take what is Mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is Mine. Therefore I said that He will take what is Mine and declare it to you. Now listen to that. Do you not hear Jesus saying that same thing? For He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak. Do you not hear Jesus saying it that the Father has said? Do you not hear it as He preached? You know, I, I don't tell you anything except what I've heard from my Father. And the Holy Spirit, just the same. I'm not going to tell you. He's not going to tell you anything except what He hears from the Father. And we, we have that. We do not lack the testimony of God here. It's not like we're waiting for some special revelation to come. Some new word to float out of the ether somewhere and tell us something that we have to do that's something whatever. We have a sure word. So if we're asking the Lord, please show me, I have a decision to make, I have a place I need to go, I, I want to do something, please show me. And you hear or feel or get a sense that God is leading you in a certain direction. If it lines up with the Word of God, the principles and the teaching and everything that Jesus has said, everything that's written here, you know what? You're probably pretty safe to go ahead and kind of venture out in that space. But if you see anything in it that just does not line up with the Word of God, yeah, that, nope. Not necessary. Don't need it. I kind of walk away from this. Last point. Last slide, Leggy. Proof of the Holy Spirit in revival is the awareness, understanding, and practice of obedience to God's Word. So if we want to know what revival is, and I pray for it. I do. I, I want to see revival. I want to see it here. I want to see it in my heart. I want to see it in my family. I want to see it from I want to see it from this from this sack of bones out. I want to see it in my workplace. I want to see it in the people that I work with that don't know the Lord at all. And a few that do that are just kind of kind of keeping in the shadow someplace. I want to see revival come because I believe that when the Spirit of God convicts and converts men, life changes. Everything changes. Out of revival, real revival have come so many good things that we've seen at work in this world. If we think that thy kingdom come, thy will be done is somewhere over there, and not from here on, we've missed something. 
If we think for one minute, well, when I get over there, everything. No, right here and now, you and I, if we have Christ, we have Him with us. What else do we need? Like, what else do you and I need to be kingdom of God builders? The tools are here. To touch every piece of society and every situation with what God has called good. Because that's the work of restoration that the gospel is doing. Restoring in us, because of His Word and the power of His Holy Spirit, what God calls good. And when that moves in society, when that moves in our workplace, when that moves in our hands and our minds and our feet, good things happen. Good things happen in the world. Lives are changed. Businesses are changed. Families are changed. Companies are changed. Economies are changed. Cities, states, nations are changed because the kingdom of God is in people and God is at work doing restoration in them and through them and beyond. We need so desperately revival that stirs our hearts to not just be looking for the exits, Don't get me wrong. I can't wait to be with the Lord. Paul said it, right? You know, it's like, to, to, to be with the Lord is to be with you and preach this gospel in this world and see these things. See God do stuff. You know, I mean, he's in a, you know, kind of in this fix between these things to go to be with the Lord or to be here with you. That is an awesome straight to be in. Because it's win-win. Do we understand that? It's win-win. We have, of anybody, we have nothing to lose to venture out of this world under the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ and make changes to everything. Because it's not us, but it's the power of God in us. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ alive in us that changes people, that changes societies. We would not live in, you could say, what's left of, or just in this, in this ebb of America, if not for the awakening of men's hearts and minds to the truth of God and that affected society. But what happened to us, and what I've seen happen over the generations, is we forgot that that's what we're here for, to glorify Him Always, not just up there somewhere, in the great far off yonder. Not to yearn for heaven and home and forget the home that heaven is in us here to accomplish. It's not just over in the glory land, it's now and on. We are called by the power of God, the power of the gospel, and the power of the Holy Spirit. None of them are None of them ours. To go into the world as we are going, carrying the gospel of Jesus Christ, that will do that restorative work. So now is the time for all of us, and, I, and I'm, 
I see it at work, and I, and I feel it at work. I, I see the things that are happening, just kind of bringing it down into the here. I see the things and celebrate with all my heart. I see this church and this body reaching out and, and doing things that are going to affect people. And it's awesome to celebrate that. That is an awesome. That is the work of God. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. We watched him put it together. We watched him do things that you just can't explain. Even mechanical, technical stuff that just like, well, wouldn't come together and all of a sudden, well, there it is. It worked. And I'm ready to see that. I, I don't know what you, but I'm, I'm ready to see that. I'm ready to see that in my family. I'm, I'm ready to see that here. I'm ready to see that fire catch and grow and move through this world. I am ready with all my heart. That's the revival I want with all my heart. That's the revival I want. That's the revival I feel stirring in here. That says, no more, I can't wait to get over there. And a whole lot more, I can't wait to get up in the morning and see what the Lord will accomplish in and through His Word alive in me. His Spirit moving me. His words affecting how I talk and act and think in the day. And then come to the end of the day, and it sounds funny to say I can't wait for, I, en- I have enjoyed, I have enjoyed the pain of repentance. Why? Because I think, Dusty, you mentioned it, he grants it. Like when you know that you have repentance coming out, and you know He granted that, that's a, this feels bad that we have to come here to this place. And God, like it feels bad, but it feels so good because you've said, repent, come to me, and I I will forgive your sins. If you think you don't have any, that's a sin, don't. You know, that's not good. That's not good for you, thinking you don't have any. But just understand, but I am not just saying, stop doing bad things. But he's saying, I am bringing you into my kingdom by the power of my Holy Spirit and the power of my word at work in you. To the glory of God the Father. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for this day, and thank you for your word, and thank you for the hope you bring and the change you bring. May it be that what we have done and what we have experienced and what we hear and what, what, it, what you have spoken reverberates in us and makes changes. With all my heart, I don't want the words to just be words. I don't want them to be words just in, in my heart. I don't want them just to be words. I don't want them to just be, wow, that was a lot of true stuff or that was a lot of biblical or whatever. I don't want them to just be words. I want it to be life and truth. I want it to be fully effective in what happens from here on. And I pray that for, for those who hear this and have heard this. I pray, Lord, your will be done Your will be done right here, just as in heaven. Move us, I pray. Stir us to your truth and your ways 
for your glory, for your glory, for your glory, because you deserve all of it. It all came from you. May it all return to you. In Jesus' name, amen.